You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Messiah. I thought he was a false Messiah, but he's the real deal. And now Saul of Tarsus gets gloriously saved, humble. It's an encouragement to be faithful despite what they say about us. Because one day the very one that's persecuting you the most may end up falling and saying, I can't believe it. You were right. Paul's conversion is such an encouragement to us as believers. He went from a persecutor of Christians to one of the most effectively used evangelists of all time. Not only was he instrumental in many face-to-face conversions, but to millions of people in the time since. As Pastor Danny will remind us in today's message, when we experience hardship at the hands of the world, we need to remember to love them and reflect the love of Christ, because God can transform even the hardest of hearts. Now here's Pastor Danny in Revelation chapter 3 with today's edition of The Living Word. Revelation chapter 3, and what I've chosen to do is, is I'm going to just snail through here, uh, read a verse or two, comment on the verse, uh, and then at the end, uh, try to bring it all together, all right? So that's just the way for this particular passage I felt led, so here we go. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Now, a reference verse to that, if you'd pause just for a minute, is back in Isaiah chapter 22. And I'm just going to read it briefly. Isaiah chapter 22, and the Lord prophesies through Isaiah. And here's what he says. Chapter 22, verse 20. In that day, I'll summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I'll clothe him with your robe, fasten your sash around him, hand your authority over to him. He'll be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I'll place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. Now, it's not complicated. Let me tell you what he's meaning here, what the practical uh, understanding of this is. There was a guy named Shebna. He's mentioned a few verses before. He was one of the privileged officials in ancient Israel, in Jerusalem. He was unfaithful. God had opened the door for him to come to power, and now because of his unfaithfulness, God closed the door, 
and opens the door for Eliakim. And the point is very simple. God opens doors. God closes doors. And when he opens doors, no man can shut it. But when he shuts the door, no man can open it. When it's time for Shebna to go, he's losing his authority. None of his buddies are going to help him out. No amount of money. No amount of politicking. All right? When God shuts a door, you won't open it. But when he opens the door, you won't shut it. Back in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Now pause there for just a minute. The church of Philadelphia, seven letters to seven churches, Revelation 2 and 3, and they are messages for the church until Jesus comes. This particular one, this church, God had opened a door for at this particular time. We aren't told what the open door was. Whenever God doesn't tell us, you can kind of fill in the blank and apply it personally however you want. But here's something to note about this open door for this particular church at this particular time. I don't think they were looking for an open door. Why do I say that? Well, you read the last part of verse 8. I know that you have little strength. The word in the Greek is micros. We get our word micro. They have micro strength. They have little strength. Yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. So here's when the open door comes. It's when you just are wasted. You have micro strength. You've been faithful to the Lord for however long. And I don't think they were looking for an open door. Read on. I'll make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, but though they are not, but are liars, I'll make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. That to me is a clue to why they had little strength. The Jews he's talking about here are those who are Jews racially, but not spiritually. They are the same spiritual uh, Jews uh, or unspiritual Jews that put Jesus on the cross and opposed him his whole three years public ministry. They're religious, but they don't know God. And these same Jews who think they're doing God a favor by persecuting followers of Jesus are persecuting the people of Philadelphia, the Christians, the church. And I don't know how long it'll be going on, but these guys are worn out. But they've been faithful through all the the mocking and the persecution from these Jews who are mocking them because they are believers in Jesus. They have little strength. And God promises one day he's going to have these Jews who are persecuting and mocking them fall down at their feet and acknowledge, we were wrong, you were right. Now, when is that going to happen? Well, it could be at the final judgment. could be then. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess. But Alistair Begg suggested as he's teaching through this, and I was listening to his message, and he suggested it could also be that the very ones persecuting these Christians and believing that you're crazy to follow Jesus Christ and believe that he's the Messiah, 
that because of your faithfulness and your witness, that they will one day fall and get saved and acknowledge, I was so wrong and I can't believe you were right. And there's biblical evidence of that kind of thing happening. Saul of Tarsus believed that he was serving God by persecuting the church. And then on the road to Damascus, when he came to to realize Jesus really is the Messiah, I thought he was a false Messiah, but he's the real deal. And now Saul of Tarsus gets gloriously saved, humbled. It's an encouragement to be faithful despite what they say about us. Because one day the very one that's persecuting you the most may end up falling and saying, I can't believe it. You were right. Verse 10. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I'll also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Now, we don't need to comment a lot on this verse because the majority of the book is this verse the trial that's going to come upon the whole world. This is not a localized trial for this particular congregation. I know without a doubt that this is referring to the great tribulation, the seven-year period that I think is not far off. Jesus is coming. And you know it's the great tribulation because of two things. One is the Greek word translated, I'll keep you from the hour of trial. The Greek word there means I'll keep you far away from it. But even if you don't know Greek or look on the computer with the guys that tell us the Greek, like I do, it's the trial that's going to come upon the whole world, the whole world. It's not a localized thing. It's not just in one area. It's the whole world. That's the great tribulation. And faithful believers and genuine Christians will not experience in my opinion, the great tribulation. Two weekends from now, I feel strongly led to do a message because we'll be in Revelation chapter four. Next week, we'll finish the seventh letter, the church of Laodicea. And then in chapter four, John looks, there was a door standing open in heaven. He hears a voice speaking to him like a trumpet and the voice like a trumpet says, come up here. I believe that's the rapture of the church. And I hope if you don't believe in the rapture of the church that you will because there's a lot of biblical support for it. And what a great encouragement to know we will not be here to experience his wrath being poured out during that period. He'll keep us from the hour of trial that's coming upon the whole world. Beam me up, Jesus. Okay. We'll get ahead of ourselves. Chapter 3, verse 11. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. There's a lot of verses to help us with this one, but I think the best one, the best one is 2 John, verse 8. That little letter of 2 John. And here's what John writes. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Now, let's connect a couple of things here. 
on the surface, it sounds like in verse 11, he's saying, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. In other words, hang on. Jesus is coming soon. You're not going to experience the great tribulation. And so you're thinking, beam me up. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's not what he's saying to this church. Hold on does not mean sit in the corner and, okay, I've been faithful, I've endured, uh, you know, and I've, I've, I've made it this far, and now Jesus is coming, so I'm just going to hang on. Hold on. No. The word is also used in Matthew chapter 9, verse 25, when Jesus reaches down and he takes hold of a young girl who has died and he raises her from the dead. He takes a hold of her, same word. Hold on, hold on. It doesn't mean hold on and do nothing. It means seize the day. Well, what is it? It's the open door. It's the open door. You've been faithful. You've endured for however long. You have micro strength. You're not looking for an open door, but Jesus has put an open door before you. Now, what are you going to do? Do you want to be rewarded fully? Because this is something else God has for this church. Would they walk through the door? Would they be rewarded fully? They're going to make it to heaven. But will they take this maybe last opportunity? And take advantage of it. Verse 12. Him who overcomes, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I write on him uh, the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I'll also write on him my new name. I believe that's metaphorical. I don't think you'll literally be a pillar and literally have names on you. But the idea of the names and the pillar, when you put them together, so encouraging. Philadelphia, ancient Philadelphia, was constantly bombarded uh, and threatened by earthquakes. Uh, One happened in AD 17 that leveled nearby Sardis, leveled it, and greatly affected Philadelphia. And a lot of times after earthquakes like these, uh, in these cities, The only things really left standing were the stone pillars. God's saying, I'll make you a pillar. When everything else crumbles, you're going to make it. And that pillar, the names on the pillar, and one is a new name. He says, it's my new name. There's 26 names for God in the Bible. And this is one he hasn't told us. What does that suggest? You're a pillar You have a personal relationship, and that relationship is going to get even better. You're going to know Jesus. You're going to know God in a way you've never known him before. I think of Paul's words, the Apostle Paul. He says, now we know in part. Now we see in part. Then we'll know fully, and there's nothing better in life than knowing God. And the greatest thing of heaven is not the streets of gold and not even the new bodies as much as we need them. The greatest thing about heaven is God. 
Now, let me give you one more note on this pillar thing. Because I, I, I love this one. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make you a pillar. You, you have to think of the movie Rocky. I don't care who you are. You cannot watch any of the Rocky movies. You can't watch, especially the one where he runs up the steps there in Philadelphia. Come on, Philadelphia. I remember the first time I was there. And you just, you, you, you get up the stairs and you, you take my picture. <laughs> then you go over to the Rocky statue and you say, take my picture, you know. Why? Because you just are inspired. And here's the truth. Here's the truth. This is not Hollywood now. The faithful, the faithful, we're going to be the Rockies of heaven. We're going to be the Rockies of heaven. Listen, the world may look and go, you're crazy. The world may look and you've never famous in the world's eyes, but in heaven's eyes, the faithful, Rocky of heaven. I can't wait. <laughs> Woo! Gonna have hair like him. Gonna have the muscles like him. <sighs> Woo! You gotta move on. One last verse. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's the most important verse. Because even if you hear this, and even if you, you you go away from this church service and go, well, that was that was okay, but have you really heard it? How do I know if I've really heard it? How would they have really heard it? The Church of Philadelphia, the literal church, the ancient church, this local church. How would we know if they heard what he said? Did they seize the day? Did they go through the open door? And one natural excuse for not going through the open doors, you're like, I just, I'm so tired. They had micro strength. I'm so tired. I just want to hang on. I just want to sit. I just want to, Jesus, please just come. And that is an option, but you won't be rewarded fully. I, I don't know about you. Well, I do know about, I think I know about you. I think, I think you're like me. You don't want to hear him say, well, it was an okay job. But that last opportunity I gave you, how come you didn't how come you didn't take the step? He who has an ear, let him hear. Now, now, that's the commentary. Let's bring it home. Let's bring it home. I, you just can't make this up. Uh, you just can't make this up. Just a note, the only two of the seven churches that Jesus had no rebuke for, and this is one of them. No rebuke. You've been faithful. You've endured, you've been patient, but, but did, they, did they seize the day? Did they take advantage of the open door? That's the question. And while this needs to be applied, as all Scripture needs to be applied personally, personally, individually, I want, I want to just say we must not forget that this was a message to a church corporately. Now, hang with me in that. Please don't lose me here. It's a corporate message. He's speaking to the whole congregation, right? I mean, that's, he's speaking to the whole congregation. This is a congregation that he's speaking to, and he's saying, I know, 
I know you've endured. I know you've been faithful all these years. I know, I know for whatever reason, it has to also be connected to the persecution. But, but there may have been other things. We don't know the other reasons. Maybe they're just like, I'm just tired. I'm just tired. What a message for me. What a message for us. I mean, I look back and I, I want to make a couple of quick comments and then, and then bring in real personal, real personal. Open doors can come at any stage and any age in life. Moses' calling of God on his life failed miserably, tried to fulfill the will of God in the arm of the flesh. Forty years at seminary on the backside of the desert. Graduation day, God comes in the burning bush and he says, now, now you can go, now you're ready because now he's the most humble man on the face of the earth. But at that point in his life, Moses was not looking for an open door. And if you read the story there in Exodus chapter 2 and 3, Moses gives five excuses, five excuses why he should not be the one to go. You know what the last one was? You remember what the last one was, the fifth one? Uh, Moses says, Lord, would you just send somebody else? Open doors can come at any stage and any age in life. Uh, Open doors often come at inconvenient times. And open doors rarely, rarely happen, and it's smooth sailing. Paul wrote at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, and he says, I'm going to stay on in Ephesus for a while longer because a great door has opened for me, and many oppose me. You think the persecution stopped when they stepped through the open door? It might have intensified. You think it got easier if they stepped through the open door? It might have got harder. Man, God took me to a story in the Old Testament that so illustrates God coming and giving somebody an opportunity at a most inconvenient time. It's one of my favorite stories. Go with me. I'm just going to summarize it, but Judges chapter 6. Judges. Chapter 6, verse 11, the angel of the Lord, that's Christ in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord, so Christ, came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. The Midianites are the enemy. They've ravaged the land. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I can't help it. Every time I read this or teach on it, I, I can see Gideon looking up and say, uh, I think you got the wrong wine press. I'm anything but a mighty warrior. And verse 14, as Gideon begins to make excuses, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Verse 15, but Lord Gideon said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. It sounds like he's saying, little strength. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. That's what you want. That's what you want to hear. I'll be with you. Because if God's with you, done deal. Done deal. And you know the story of Gideon. <laughs> Gideon, he comes and he, he gets his initial command from the Lord. Uh, first go tear down your father's altar to Baal. And it says in verse 27, chapter six, because he was afraid of his family, little strength, little faith, little courage. 
We're so glad you tuned in today for Pastor Danny's message in the book of Revelation. If you missed any part of today's teaching or would like to explore more of the messages from this series, visit ccfstpete.church and click on Sermons. You'll be directed to our YouTube page, and we'd love for you to subscribe. When you do, you'll be notified by email every time we post a new message. If you have any questions for us about what you heard today or would like us to pray for you, please email us. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. We're so privileged to be able to pray for you. You can connect with us on social media as well. Find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and jump into the conversations there. Find links to all of these at our website, ccfstpete.church. And if you happen to be in the St. Petersburg area, we want to meet you. Every message you hear on The Living Word comes from a teaching Pastor Danny has shared at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, and you're invited to join us for our weekly services. Our church is filled with imperfect people being made holy by our perfect Creator, and we know that you'll fit right in. Join us on Saturday at 6 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Find directions at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. With that, our time with you has officially come to an end. There's much more to learn from the pages of Revelation, so we hope you'll tune in again right here on The Living Word.